This is Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast. This episode, I'm joined by photographer Murray Livingston as we discuss a variety of topics surrounding the idea of poetic photography. We discuss the intersection of language and art, an idea which Murray is creating an ebook about, and whether it is important to think about such an idea while out in the field. We speak on photography as a meditative act, something which calms both body and soul, and briefly how this concept relates to the flow state. Toward the end of the episode, we talk about finding an audience and the importance of building a platform around education. Let's dive right into it, shall we? I did a webinar the other day talking about um, distilling the landscape, and I, <laughs> I made the fatal error of forgetting to click record Ooh. on the on the presentation. So I was going to offer it as sort of a, a free lead magnet for emails and yeah. signing up to the mailing list and things. And of course, I, d- I now don't have that recording. Um, That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's okay. It's an excuse to give the webinar another time. Yeah, that's true. And ref- refine things and all that. So, not the end of the world. Yeah, I have to uh, start figuring out my whole webinar presentations, that kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff that I want to start figuring out with that. And I keep talking about it. But now that I have the website out of the way, because I just relaunched that. So, I noticed there was a few changes since I checked i mean was that that was really recent wasn't it literally like in the last few days or something yeah uh saturday i relaunched it so uh two days ago as of this recording um yeah yeah that's it's it's looking really good man yeah thank you it uh took far too long for me to get it done but i i really had no choice because it was either that or on sunday my like the website that I had set up already that would have renewed with uh, Squarespace. So I uh, had to do something and I didn't want there to be too much of a lapse between um, the old website, not having a website, and then a new website, just because it would have taken me forever if I just hadn't pulled the trigger on it. So Yeah, no, that's that's really good. I mean, it's websites are constant work in progress, isn't it? That's the same for me. Yeah, it is. It's terrible. I was talking to someone, um, one of my girlfriend's family members yesterday, we were talking about like life coaching because that's what, something that she's going through, uh, getting like certified or the steps to become a life coach. Like she was saying about like her website and how she had just built it up with the help of her husband a little bit with Squarespace, essentially using a template, but then having to go through and realize this template doesn't exactly work for her and her business and her goals for everything so i was talking to her about that i'm like yeah it's a constant work in progress like it's never ending do you think you're you're happy with how things have turned out for the most part i think yeah um there's still stuff that i have to change i still have to add in like alt tags to my images and everything um yeah I have to <laughs> I have to do some more things with my like essays page and 
little stuff like this that I just want to add to it that I never really had before. Um, in a previous episode with Ben, I had talked about adding in like me reading over the um, me reading the essays and having audio for that, especially now that I have this equipment from the podcasting. So yeah, yeah. I figured that would be a good idea to do that. I just have to get on that and little things, but a lot of little things. And I, I notice you've taken away uh, your print offerings. Is that that's how, how did that come about? That's been going on for years. Um, yeah. I've always gone back and forth with like print offerings and that kind of thing. I'll bring them back on eventually. Um, right now, my main focus is the ebook that I just launched with the website, which is just a free yep. downloadable ebook that I've again talked about since uh, October or so. Um, it's a morning walk, North's Resort, and it's just, I think, like 40, 50 photographs. Just a collection of photographs that I had taken while walking around my family's property up north. Um, so figured that needed to get out there in the world and I figured I'd do it as a free download and if people get some kind of value out of it I have a donate button as well so I mean absolutely I'm just happy to have that out there that's awesome the the ebook thing is really interesting I I did one uh, last year sort of more of a an edu educational um, style yeah. about my creative process and man, yeah, that's your black and white one, right? Yeah, that's right. And they take forever to put together. I'm not sure how much text you've included along with um, the images, but yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of text with this one. Right. Um, just like an introductory, maybe 500 word introduction to it, and then it's just the images in chronological order of how I had taken them. But I know, I know the difficulty of like trying to add in a bunch of text and make it look good and yeah, going back and forth with all of that because I've been working on a couple others that get worked on for a little bit and then die off and then get worked on for a little bit and then die off. I think, so, I think we might have actually touched on um, the idea of the project back when we did our first recording. Yeah, it's likely. Because um, I'm looking at the ebook now and you reference um, Christmas Day Buckpong's Buck's Pond yeah. Road. Um, by Tim Carpenter. So uh, I do remember us talking about that. That's really that's cool that you got that together. I'm gonna have to sit with that and spend some time looking at those yeah. images. Um, I'm currently just in the early stage, very early stages, brainstorming really. Um, working with another photographer to do a sort of like collaborative ebook. Okay. Um, talking about language and photography. Um, so that that's something that's going to be in the works, but I think it's going to be a bit of a, a longer term project to getting that together. What do you mean when um, you say language and photography? So both the, as it relates to composition, using things like um, phraseology from uh, poems. So if you think of like the cadence or the rhythm of a poem, how can that be related or translated into how you compose a photograph? Um, and then the the guy that I'm going to work with has a whole bunch of his own ideas as well, which I think he studied at he'd studied English uh, at a master's level at university, so he's got uh, loads and loads of <laughs> references, <laughs> yeah. and he's really well well read in the area. Okay, um, 
but it should be interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've ever come across anything like that before. So it'd be cool to see. Yeah, it's. I'll I'll keep you up to date on uh, how that's <laughs> coming, how that comes along. But. Yeah, because I, I know a lot of people, like especially poetry and photography, tend to correlate. Um, I know Michael Kenna in his uh, collection Japan. It's nothing but uh, haiku paired with his photographs, and it makes for a very interesting. Um, an interesting manner of going through that book and seeing the photographs in a different light when you have that pairing. And I know uh, in my student teaching placement, my mentorship, they've been talking about, like the students themselves have been talking about within their photography or poetry club about using my photography to pair with their poems in their magazine that they make. And I've always loved that idea of that that pairing just can really adds so much to both the photographs and the poems themselves, even if there's really not a one-on-one -on -one super clear correlation. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and another reference, I'm sure you may have watched them, is Alex Soth's YouTube videos where he, he did a whole series about uh, images and words. And yeah, I mean, that that's a must-watch for anyone out there who's interested in, in this topic. And I'm actually not familiar with that. Okay. It's uh no, it's really, really good. And basically he touches on what you've just uh explained there and how it's sort of a careful balance. Sometimes it can really enhance an image and other times it's a distraction. And how do you find the balance of that um in the context of a photo book? So whether it's, you know, the size of the font, how much text to include with an image. Um, so to go back to the Canon example, I think a haiku, obviously very short format, that makes for quite a, an interesting concept because it's not going to overpower the images as a, it's going to sort of support them. Um, that's cool. I like the concept of poetic photography. I think a lot of people uh, refer to expressive photography these days, and I've always leaned towards trying to call it poetic photography for some reason. Um, maybe it's something to do with this idea of sort of metaphors and the pairing of language and words with the images. Yeah. Again, like I haven't really thought much into the, into combining those past, like obviously like my articles and having photographs in my, interspersed in my articles and that typical kind of thing. But thinking about like when you're actually out in the field crafting an image and thinking about like the rhythm of the composition and using more of like literary or poetic terms to to describe things and then yeah yeah i'm not sure if it necessarily is something that is helpful to think about in that sort of immediate sense when you're out in the field i don't know if it's something that you need to sort of develop to become instinctual um I guess what we're talking about a little bit here is sort of photography as a form of meditation or uh, maybe a connection to like Zen philosophy um, and how uh, I've got a, a good quote here, sort of getting in the right mind of frame for creating and the, the difference between like a flow state and really thinking about something 
in literal terms. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's it's difficult to find that flow state when you are coming back to analyzing your photographs in or your compositions out in the field in real time. Um, for me, I tend to sort of get into that flow state, and then if there are things that are rhythmic in the composition, they sort of come a bit more naturally. I don't know. I tend to struggle when I get back into the like the office or even after developing the film because I have like my flow states of in the field where I'm making the compositions and then come back and when I develop the film that's another sort of miniature flow state but then trying to get back into that enough to go through the scanning process of the film and the editing process it's it's that technological disconnect too that prevents any kind of flow and I wonder if there's a way a different way to think about things that would help me to get back into that to keep it as like you said like a, as a form of meditation throughout the entire process instead of having it so segregated between yeah I guess it's that yeah the segregation or the sort of dichotomy of the technical and the artistic is I don't know there, there needs to be a when I think when we talk about flow state it's those two things happening at the same time so they're not necessarily a dichotomy they're actually almost one and the same thing but just in a different forms um I guess photography is a meditation. One concept that I've been noticing in my own uh, work is that hiking really, really helps to get me into that mindset um, because you're having to, especially if you go up into the mountains, you're having to focus so much on breath work. And that to me sort of draws me into. Uh, you know, all the external stimuli sort of fade away and you're really in the moment, as it were. Um, I, I don't know how that applies necessarily to like the more technical side of film where you've got to develop and scan and all that. Um, but it's all, I guess it's all part of the preparation for editing, um, which is, as you said, another form of, of the flow state. One of the other things I want to try and do, and I, it may help for both what the just thinking more about your photographs but also to get into more of like a slowed down mindset before or during photographing is trying to take more time with my compositions and sitting down and letting the light form in a way that I can visualize it as forming kind of what like how ben goes through a more like a contemplative approach but during that time writing and even just writing like a quick haiku or something that goes directly in line with the the photograph that i'm currently taking going through my thought processes and that kind of thing introducing that into my workflow and seeing if that can't help support me throughout the entire process then as well. I wonder how that would look too. I, I like the sound of that because it's sort of the you're taking that analytical framework and 
almost removing it one step from the act of photography itself. So you're still sort of analyzing what you're doing in a way, but reframing it around a different artistic format. And I think that when you start to do that, you'll make connections between those two things. That's a really, no, that's a cool idea. Um, it's just a matter of me actually being able to wait for the light. Yeah, because that's always the especially trick. Especially with it? black and white, it's it's so it's so tough for me to just sit there and wonder. Okay, is this composition worth waiting twenty minutes, thirty minutes, two hours, whatever for? Yeah, and and getting over that mindset of because I I tend to go into hiking with like a more of like a goal oriented mindset. Not necessarily for photographs, but like I need to spend this many hours out in nature and hike this many miles or it's just a waste of time like being out in nature. And I don't know where that that disconnect is coming from, but I've been trying to like reorient how I think about going out because like my problem is I, I hear about everybody going out for hikes and when I think of a hike, for some reason I think of this long trek in the mountains or in the woods, wherever, where it's a lot of miles covered and it's a very like arduous, it's very uh, just intense. And then I look at what I do for the most part and they're more like walks in the woods, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with either end, but getting over that, that disconnect and then realizing that even if I'm just sitting in the middle of the woods waiting for the light, to shift for this composition, that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they are two very different things, I guess. Um, I, from my personal perspective on hiking, I probably try to bring a bit of that calming walk in the woods uh, attitude towards my hiking, and part of that is being able to go somewhere and wild camp out out in nature because as soon as you do that then you've set up camp and you tend to spend you know whatever it is the next 12 hours around camp um and you get a bit more time where you don't feel like you're moving through a place you're spending time in a place um mm -hmm. i don't know if maybe that that would help if you're able to find somewhere around you where you can go and camp out for a night or two. Yeah, perhaps. It's just a matter of... It's more a matter of just finding the time, I suppose, than anything else. I think one of the bigger issues is over here in Pennsylvania, we don't necessarily have the ability to wild camp so much. It's like if it's not an established campground, you're really yeah. not supposed to yeah. be there. Like. You have to pay for it, and then you have to try and like get reservations depending on where. And a lot of the places that I go to regularly don't have the camping infrastructure set up. It's or it's not like well known and easy to to go about it. So that's one of the big downsides of not having like because over in the over in the UK in that area, it's more of like all land is public land kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, well, definitely up in Scotland. In England and Wales yeah. is a bit different, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have anything like that, which 
good sides to it, bad sides to it, but not so great for wanting to go wild camp wherever in the woods. Well, so, so it doesn't necessarily have to be wild, I guess. Maybe that was just uh, the terminology yeah, yeah. bringing over from what they call it in Scotland, but no, I get, I get your point. It's a case of, for you, it'd be a bigger bigger endeavor, a bigger trip, um, and maybe outside of Pennsylvania. And I'll, I'll have that coming up in Acadia in, uh, in a couple months, end of June. Oh, okay. I'll have that opportunity to do that, and I think I'll be there for about a week and a half or so. Um, and then I think I'm trying to get down to a, another national park in the end of May, if I can make it, if I can get the reservations and everything together in time. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely love to be able to spend at least like a full day and night in the woods more often, but trying to get that to work with everything else that's going around and girlfriend's schedule and everything too is, can be challenging. Yep. No, I, I completely get it. It's the same, pretty much the same thing over here. You know, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to spend, uh, close to two months on the road in the van, um, sort of, what was it, February, March. Uh, and then okay. now it's the same thing you were talking about where there's a heck of a lot of post-processing and work and everything else, life, um, that I've got to get back to <laughs> <laughs> before you can get back out there again. Uh, finding the balance of those things is, is often quite tricky. What was that trip all about? Or in the same way that Ben revisits places, that's sort of uh, the approach that I've been trying to apply to my photography. So uh, I went up to Scotland last year in winter uh, to Torridon and over to the Isle of Harris on the Outer Hebrides. Okay. So basically this year I was revisiting a lot of the same locations. Um, although saying that actually in Torridon, for instance, I actually was there for 10 days and I didn't do a single, or I didn't repeat a single hike that I've done before. So, I mean, these, the wilderness areas up there are just immense and you can basically explore for years and years and never do the same thing twice, which is really uh, fun and interesting, but it's, it takes a lot of time really, <laughs> especially in winter when you've got to wait for good weather and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough as well to work with um, a commercial client doing some like educational video content. So that's been uh, a good excuse for me to be able to go up there. It's like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've got to go and produce these videos. Yeah. So I might as well then also spend a bit of time while I'm up there making my own work. One of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, um, your portfolio critiques, looking just through your website, how have you found those in terms of like getting people to sign up for them or however you go about that and getting your name out for actually doing that where you are at a position where people actually want their portfolio crit critiqued by you kind of thing? So uh, I actually haven't had anyone sign up for it as of yet, but it's something where it's, 
a, I guess, a service that I am interested in and I like critiquing. Okay. Um, we, we did weekly critiques in architecture school for seven years when I was doing my degree. So it's something that I've got a lot of experience with. Um, and basically that's part of um, why I offered to, for you to send through some images to do a critique, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to be going out shortly as I uh, messaged you about the other day. And I guess that's part of the uh, business side of things is building up that backlog on YouTube or wherever it is that sort of shows to potential customers that you can do this properly and that you're good at it. Um, so hopefully those uh, are sort of a showcase for why somebody might want to get their portfolio critiqued with me. I've had a lot of people message saying it looks like an interesting thing and they'd like to do it. Uh, but of course, that's always the case of getting someone to actually sign up and put their money down. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's always tricky. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think it's a great thing because for, for anyone to do, I know a few other guys who do it, like Eric Bennett and some of those guys. And especially, you know, with social media and just the sort of emoji heart <laughs> comments that, that you yeah. get, having a place where you can come for proper sort of in-depth critique and self-reflection is something that I thought yeah, I'm quite good at that, and I'll provide a place where people can access that if they want to. Walking through your website now a little bit, because I haven't done so probably since the last time we talked. Kind of terrible with that. Um, you have a couple of workshops coming up. You have your Isle of Harris, and you have another one in next year? Yeah. And then your one-on-ones? Yeah, so um, the Isle of Harris one is uh, going to be in end of October, beginning of November. Um, so that's part of the other part of the reason why I went back up there was so that I made sure that I knew all my locations really well um, and also to sort of produce a bit more work to be able to market the workshop, etc. Um, okay. But that particular... Is that just you running it? Yeah, that's going to just be me. Um, with okay. It's going to be with four clients um, staying in a really cool cottage which like walks right out onto the beach. Um, and I mean, I think it's probably my favorite place in Scotland, which is why I sort of made it my first location for a workshop. But yeah, it's, again, it goes back to the sort of educational theme that I'm interested in, is it's not a tour. It's really meant for people who are looking to develop their creativity um, and people who are interested in self-reflection, critiques, etc. And then... Yeah, there's a, another one which I'm still designing for over in South Africa. Um, and then the one-to-ones, which is sort of open all year round. I guess these... How have the one-to-ones gone? Uh, I've got a meeting with someone on Wednesday to, to do okay. one, so that'll be good. And otherwise, it's uh, pretty, pretty quiet over there in the UK, really. Um, I think with all of the economic things that have been going on for the last few months. People have really tightened the purse strings. So it's... Yeah, I'm sure. It was decent around sort of like Christmas time. People had a bit of uh, a relax and spend a bit of money. And then come New Year, it was just like 
<laughs> Everything's all, all quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, that, again, that one-on-one -on -one workshops have interested me for a while, especially the one-on-one. -on -one. But yeah, a matter of getting started with them and figuring out like locations and all of, like the technical thing. Like I know, I know one person at least in my general area. Um, he works with this company and they pretty much run the workshops and the technical side and they hire him on. So obviously it's not as good of pay, but... It might be worth it just to get FaceTime with potential clients and practice your skills, teaching and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's definitely the, the upside to working with a company is you don't have to worry about not only the business side, but kind of helps you to figure out is this actually something that I want to do. Yeah. And all the but, logistics and insurance and <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. Like I said, I have an interest in it. I love teaching. I enjoy seeing that like that recognition when someone actually starts really understand something and really get it. But at the same time, I'm like all the business side of photography still is like very. It very much so eludes me. And I'm like, I want to keep everything as simple as I can for as long as I can because, I mean, why wouldn't I? So, is it still your ambition to be a quote-unquote professional photographer? Um, or would you be happy maybe making a part of your income elsewhere and then sort of almost, in a way, funding your artistic pursuits? I don't know. Right now, I have plans that I'm not quite sure how much I want to talk about, um, just because I, knowing myself, if I talk too much about it, I'm just going to keep pushing it off and off and like, so what I can say is if everything works out and I push in the right direction and the direction that I feel I should be pushing right now, it won't necessarily be full on about my photography. It'll be more in a teaching lens about some of the stuff that I've written about and will continue to write about and expanding in that kind of direction. More of like perhaps online courses about photography related things rather than selling my prints or folios or anything like that or even like individual workshops or anything. Um, but we'll see how exactly that formulates in the coming years because that's going to be probably a five-year project till i get up to that point so for right now definitely is a matter of trying to be okay or having to be okay supplementing my income uh, with something else which is becoming more and more um i guess i could say oh just okay by me like i'm, I'm good with that so yeah i guess if you if it works out and then you are still able to spend just as much or enough time out making images, then does it really matter in the end? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been enjoying, for the most part at least, I've been enjoying the uh, teaching that I've been doing in the classroom for English and figuring that out and trying to become more comfortable with the idea of doing that. And there's still obviously anxiety there's there's fear around having my own classroom and starting that up as a first year teacher um 
trying to figure out where to work, places to apply to, that kind of deal. But um, for the most part, it, it looks more like a realistic future and one that I'd be okay with and happy with than it did this time last year kind of thing. So, yeah. And I mean, I guess Ben's got a, uh, I guess, sort of similar uh, background in that he didn't go full-time and he sort of weaned off of his job that was his regular income over a period of yeah, exactly. years or however long it took. Um, so I'm sure he could give you some advice in that regard, or maybe he already has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's difficult when you want so badly to make something work, and then you are, are faced with the reality that it's going to be a very long slog to actually make this thing work, and having to face that reality that you are going to have to do some other kind of job or something else to supplement this income because photography as a whole, everybody wants to be a photographer. Everybody wants to be a professional photographer, whatever exactly that means anymore, if anything at all. And trying to figure all that out is, is difficult. But I think you got the first step right, though, which is having a really long-term committed mindset. I think a lot of people after six months to a year probably give up mm -hmm. and being committed to it for five plus years, as you've alluded to, is going to be what it takes, I think. Yeah. And I just finished reading a book, um, Company of One by Paul Jarvis. And that's pretty much where this budding idea came from of how I want to progress things and just coming to the realization that like it's going to take a while but it's something that i am more excited about doing than i have been in years for photography which is not at all something that i would have expected at any point in the past prior to having read through this book so is it so it, i mean it sounds like it's quite a sort of different take on the traditional path that most people might take, i.e. the workshops and prints mm -hmm. route, which is, I guess, a little bit where I'm heading. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I've recently recommitted to uploading weekly to YouTube, um, which is sort of my, I don't know, my new way of trying to build that audience and get your work seen. Uh, I had a really good chat with two guys that actually met up on the Isle of Harris and they have been running workshops for like 15 or 20 years or something. Okay. Um, so they agreed to have a little uh, Zoom call with me and just mentor me a bit, answer any of my questions I might had. And that was really helpful, really interesting, insightful. Um, but their, their number one tip was basically, you've got to get your work seen. That's that's really what it comes down to. Get eyeballs on your work. And, you know, it used to be maybe that you would pay for advertisement in magazines. Um, and nowadays, I guess it's you pay for advertisement on social media or you upload regularly to YouTube, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that, at least from my very basic understanding of, of building up an audience, is 
primarily just like you said through YouTube. I know Thomas Heaton just put out a video talking all about like his tips for that. Um, but also like the the idea of writing a blog or writing essays on on your website each week or on a very regular basis to to build up some kind of audience because in this book they, he was talking about the importance of helping to educate your your audience your potential clientele however you want to uh, whatever you want to call them because that way by educating them you're giving them something for free and they'll be more likely to buy from you even if your rates are higher than uh, competitors and obviously this is more like traditional commercial business thinking or can more easily be applied to that but can also work quite well with photography as well like if you're educating your potential customers about a photographic process or whatever and then you release an ebook for $35 that talks about something that somebody else released an ebook for $24 on you have that built-in audience that's more likely to want to support you at the higher price or at least that's the idea so yeah because they've seen that you provide value mm -hmm. and they yeah yeah that's that makes sense to me yeah so um, building up an audience through youtube or through through writing is yep. a lot better than i think even social media and certainly more reliable uh than trying to go for like magazines or other things like that because you don't necessarily have access or direct access to that to that audience all the time like you would if you have like a mailing list or something else yeah i i guess it is it's a tricky balance because a lot of if you go for instance write for a magazine it might not be something that you can do regularly mm -hmm. but the the positive side of it is that you've got access to their audience which might be potentially a lot larger than what you have access to at the moment yeah so i mean i obviously you've written for a few magazines as have i and i don't think it's necessarily a a bad route to go oh no but not i at agree all. that it, it can't be the only thing that you're doing you've got to sort of build your own platform your own website your own mailing list because at the end of the day that's going to be your most surefire way of reaching the people who are interested in your work mm -hmm. obviously they they've signed up to your mailing list so they've committed themselves and they've shown interest by doing that yeah that's something that i need to get get on now that my website is back up and running in a nicer manner i want to start publishing weekly um just try that out for at least a year for the rest of this year see where that takes me and try and build up that that audience that newsletter um just gather people around that are interested in what i'm talking about because even though it's not like i'm directly making money off of that it's going to help me so much more in the long term than if i just make a couple bucks here and there from publishing these articles on a magazine so yeah and if you're writing about something that interests you uh weekly or whatever bi-weekly then you're going to get some sort of value out of it as well um you know whether that's 
trying to formulate into words ideas that you're having about some of the work that you're doing or it's it's going to be a, a positive thing to do both for you and for whoever reads it mm-hmm. um, that's that's something that I've that I started 14 I'm trying to sorry, do the math quick almost half a year ago actually I started a newsletter um just sharing like three things that I thought in photography were inspirational basically what I've been looking at for the last two weeks um and it's been a really good experience for me because it's meant that I've had to almost keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on right and constantly even if you know the two weeks comes around and it's Friday and I've got to send the newsletter out then I've got to sit down for an hour or two and actually uh, absorb some photography look through a book whatever it is yeah um, that newsletter a, a regular newsletter is something I've, I've struggled with that as well um, trying to figure out how to put in enough content each month or each week or however the period of time is that you designate it for it that the information is still relevant but also that it's useful and beneficial for the audience that you're building um, again something that I have just been figuring out more succinctly over the past two weeks if that uh, as i come to these new ideas that i have that i want to put in place and having an actual focus for a newsletter i think is a huge uh, benefit it's definitely something that you need when you're putting this out instead of just having a newsletter that's like oh here's what i've been doing here's what i've been up to all about me kind of thing and yeah some people might be interested in that that's great but if you're not sharing something with them that they may find to be beneficial, then you just cracked your audience in half. Yeah, it goes back to the, what you said a few minutes ago about providing some sort of maybe education or value to your audience. I'm interested to hear a bit more about your trip to Acadia in the summer. Um, summer photography is not something that I partake in too often. I find it really difficult to photograph at that time of year. So why have you chosen to to go on a trip like that at that time of year? I'm kind of the opposite. I find it a lot more difficult to photograph in the winter, but I think that's a lot of that has to do more with the fact we don't get a lot of snow on a regular basis in Pennsylvania. So it's not like I have that kind of separation in the woods to to help with the photography to make it more interesting. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of dead brown trees surrounded by dead brown bush and <laughs> that's just it um so i tend not to get out as much during the winter or photograph nearly as much during the winter um so the summer's my kind of time to shine so to speak um but it's also because just being realistic about it my girlfriend works throughout the throughout the year she's a teacher as well so she needs doesn't have like the the ten the days off to go camping for a week in up in acadia for in the middle of i don't know february like yeah it's just not a it's it's not a realistic expectation and as i go into teaching or even whatever i decide to do 
perhaps I'll be able to make that time if I don't go into teaching and go into something else. But especially if I go into teaching, I won't be able to have that time either. So a lot of my trips tend to be like weekend trips instead. And so I just, we just chose the dates that we chose because that's what worked. Um, and I know with, especially with black and white photography, it's, which makes it so much easier is I don't really have to worry about the, um, the harsh midday light that every landscape photographer is told to be afraid of. I can just be more free with it and photograph when I want, as long as the light works for that subject and for the, um, visualized image that I wish to achieve with it. How do you go about thinking about sort of the temporality of the seasons and things in your bigger portfolio then? If you find yourself primarily photographing in maybe summer uh, when there's lots of foliage, do you think there's a place in your portfolio or in a potential project that shows the different conditions, the different seasons, etc. One of the ways I've always wanted to sort of divvy up or um, divide my portfolio, I always loved, there's a book from Elliot Porter that goes through the, um, the seasons and it's split up in that way. And I've always loved that idea. I've loved that for years, even before having found his book. But the reality is that, like I said, we just don't get the snow that we get or that I would like to get in order to show that distinction between seasons. Um, so I'm always missing out on winter photographs. And even like for the fall, I mean, fall color is hit or miss and fall tends to be some of my busier time with schoolwork and at least it has been in the past so trying to get out has been uh, not the easiest especially trying to time when the fall color is decent and making sure that i can get out and not being able to get out for a prolonged period of time in one area to explore it in a way that is conducive to creating portfolio images um, around a theme like fall color like so many others do uh, it becomes it becomes difficult so trying to show that that distinction between seasons and split it up in that way it's something that i want to work toward but it's not something that i am currently able to do yeah at least not not so far do you think you'd shoot a lot of, a, a bit of color if you were able to go out in those different seasons like fall for instance no no <laughs> not at all <laughs> no now my like expenses aside of color film, even if I'd like pick up a, a digital camera specifically, even if I would use the Ricoh that I have now, um, all the photographs I make, unless they're of like family members or something and they request them in color, I don't touch color at all. I just, I've never enjoyed it. And I don't think it's something that I ever really will enjoy doing just there are enough color photographers and I don't think there are quite enough black and white photographers anymore. I think we made that switch ever since digital. So no, it's a, an interesting perspective. The one of the feedback points I got from those two guys who were giving me advice on running workshops um, was that I had too much black and white work. And basically, 
I mean, I, I understand their point though, which is that in some ways, if, you know, whatever it is, 90 plus percent of people are shooting color, then by only having black and white work on your website, you're alienating potential clients who think that you can't demonstrate to them how to make a good color image as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, from a, from a commercial standpoint, absolutely. Like that's, yeah. can be detrimental to to the workshops that you're trying to do or to any of that sort of thing. You have to sort of find that audience. You either are losing out on potential clients for your workshops or you really have to like just dive into that black and white and say, I am a straight black and white photographer and I don't touch color. If you want to learn black and white, you come to me. Yeah. And you, you really dive into that niche yeah, of niche down hard yeah exactly which is how i would go about it but if you're more i don't know money oriented or you want to help as many people as possible and you are even half decent with color then by all means go with with the both routes it's just a matter of your own personal taste i guess and what your what your end goals are for it yeah i think at this point the way I see it is that it may it might be a commercial necessity to have some color work for the sake of demonstration to potential clients, workshop clients, or whoever it is. But in terms of the um, more artistic projects that I have in mind, whether that's books or portfolio sets, I think for the most part those will still be purely black and white. Um, so it's almost, you know, you're using the color work to draw in clients and business, but then when you want to ex do some expressive or poetic photography, then that's when you're using black and white only. Yeah. Sort of maybe a middle ground. Yeah. Though I do wonder if you are demonstrating both color and black and white, and then you go ahead and you say, publish a, a monograph. Uh, it's only black and white. I do wonder if you want to still have audience that's feeling like, oh, well, why didn't he do any color photographs in that? And and questioning that that route or that decision. Not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah, yeah, no, that that's a fair point. I guess it's it's the old thing of like deciding who you're making your work for. Mm -hmm. And if if you, I mean, for me, I'd be pretty. Uh, what's the right word? If I was making some, for instance, a book and it was all black and white, I would be making that for primarily for mm -hmm. me. I'm not going to be making it for uh, an audience or a client. Right. Yeah. If, if people see that and they think, oh, I wish there were some color photographs in there, then the book's not for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, CodySchultz.com. And you can find my work at BenHorn.com. For further discussion, join us at Patreon.com slash Creative Banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening. 
and we'll see you around next time.